Ten years ago, 19 men trained by Al-Qaeda carried out a coordinated terrorist attack on the United States that had been planned for years. The attackers simultaneously hijacked four large passenger aircraft with the intention of crashing them into major landmarks in the United States, inflicting as much death and destruction as possible. Three of the planes struck their targets. The fourth crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. And in a single day, these deliberate acts of mass murder killed nearly 3,000 human beings from 57 countries. And more than 400 of the dead were first responders, including New York City firefighters, police officers, and EMTs. It was one of the most covered media events of all time. And after a decade, the images are still difficult to view. These attacks and the global reaction to them have profoundly shaped the world we live in. So it, is, it remains important to see the images remember just what happened on that day. Do you remember? I remember we were in Scarborough, Maine, holding a meeting with Steve Pettit, and that was actually the area or the airport in Scarborough, Maine, that two of the terrorists had flown out of. And I remember that, that week, and then the week after we went to New York City uh, to do music and to do crusades, and basically it was, a, uh, it was an unbelievable sight that I'll never forget. Fear. And we remember this just because this week was the anniversary of 9-11. I mean, we couldn't go anywhere without people weeping and they're falling on their faces in the middle of the street and you could, you could actually smell death. It was that fresh. And we would go into the park and we'd play music and people would just fall down on the ground to amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And, and they just wanted to talk. They wanted to, have, they wanted to have some sort of hope that everything was going to be Okay. But I remember even just standing there and knowing that my hope is anchored in Jesus, I still had fear. And there's fear. I mean, you watch the, the videos of what happened that day. People jumping out of the World Trade Center to their death. I turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And this morning... I want to speak to you out of verses 35 to 41. Why are you so afraid? Do you not believe? Again and again and again in the Bible, God calls out to us and he says, Fear not, do not be afraid. You are mine and I am with you. There's over, there's over 80 verses throughout the Bible where God he, he commands us not to fear. Isaiah 43, thus says the Lord, we sang about this, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So the idea behind these commands is common. We've sung about them this morning. God is sovereign he is in control of all circumstances that we face. He's not only sovereign, but he's the creator. He made us, and, and he made all that is around us, and he chose his people for himself. And he will take even what men intended for evil and use it to accomplish 
his purposes. And so we do not need to fear. In the last two chapters uh, in Mark, Jesus has had a difficult time dealing with the crowds. And they're pressing against him and around him and to the point where it was hard for him really to teach. And so in his preaching and teaching, he begins to actually distinguish between the crowd who really was going to follow him. And so he pushes away the beyond the excitement and the miracles and the physical healing from those who really have come to listen and those who have really come to obey. Those are... Those who are really listening will be like the seed in the parable early on in this chapter of the sower that falls on good soil, yielding even a hundredfold. They will be part of his intimate family, as close to him as his mothers and brothers. That's what he says at the last verse of chapter 3. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. But those who are only following him for the excitement For the spectacular will be like the seed falling on rocky soil, springing up, but not lasting long enough to bear fruit. And so Mark chapter 4, verse 23, he he says for us, he says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So listen, maybe you've come today. And you have troubles and there are circumstances that are bigger than what you think you can handle. Maybe you've come today and in light of what's going on in the world around us, there's fear. Turn it over in your your mind. Focus on it and, and listen for these are the truths of life. Let's look at Mark chapter 4 verse 35. On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? And even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father in heaven, our creator, the sovereign one. We come this morning and we declare who you are because you have said it. And we worship you, the one who is in control of all things. And yet we have come and we admit readily that we sometimes and often do not really believe And sometimes our faith is weak, and sometimes we tend to focus on the circumstances around us. So I pray that you would speak to our hearts, and you would challenge our hearts. And and maybe there's people here today that have, have never truly believed in who you are, in your character and your nature, that you've saved us, and you've redeemed us, that today 
they would trust in you and their faith would be new. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus had been sitting in a boat in chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, so he could keep the multitudes on the shore from pressing on him while, while he was preaching and teaching. And, 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 and here he is. It says in verse number 30, 36 that, that they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And, and really he said, let's go to the, to the eastern side of, the, of this sea. And this is a side where there's not any big towns and there's not very many people. And so he did this intentionally because he wanted some rest. I mean, can you imagine speaking all day long with multitudes of people pressing on you? And so they went. And then it says that there was a windstorm and there was a wind. And I just think as, as I was preparing this and just watching the news of the hurricanes that are, that are happening all around us, man, that's really what it is. This is common because this sea was about, is about 690 feet below sea level and surrounded by hills. And so there's a hurricane that was actually happening. I mean, I don't know about you if, if maybe the... the uh, the weathermen are actually making it worse than it really is. Have you seen that, that one where he, was, he couldn't stand on his feet, but two guys are walking behind him? But the reality is, it's serious. We've lived through a few typhoons in Guam, and, and there was actually one that just went through Guam, and it, it missed it, but it's actually now a huge super typhoon heading into northern Philippines and, and Hong Kong. And, and when you're on a little island, it's a little scary, but can you imagine a boat and here you are, and the hurricane is coming, and the windstorms are coming, and the disciples, they're experienced fishermen. I mean, if you were to ask them, this is really their home. This is where they live, on the water. And they thought they could handle any storm that would come, but verse 37 communicates to us that, a, that the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling, and they didn't really know what to do. Despite all their attempts to bail, everyone is working hard and trying to stay alive and that they know that they could possibly drown. But where is Jesus? I mean, where is he? Where is he when they needed him the most? You know the story. We just read it. He's in the stern of the boat, sleeping with his head on a cushion. I just like how that was added in there. And there's only one pillow. Have you ever asked that question? God, where are you? I mean, this is, this is an unexplainable situation, and this is a difficult time, and we made reference to 9-11, and there are many people asking that question. So where is God? I mean, if God is love, if this is the God that you talk about, then where is he? Does he care? Does he even know? And the disciples wake him and they cry out this, don't you care? How many of you have ever said that before? I have. You care more about your sleep than you do about our lives, and the least you could do is help us. I mean, we just watched you do all these miracles, and, and, and yet here you are asleep in the boat. God, can't you see what I'm going through? Don't you see it? I'm in a mess, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and nothing has happened, and either you can't do anything about it, or you really don't care. I mean, that's the extreme prayer that we actually say, right? God, you either don't care about it, or you can't really do anything about it. And those are our natural responses, and 
But do you see what we're really telling God? These words imply that God is either not all-powerful or he is not all-loving. We are denying the revelation of God about himself. And we know that God himself says that he loves us and that he actually does care for us. And we know that God spoke all things into existence and and by his word, and there is even power in his name. His name alone brings power. And so this morning, I want to share with you two fears and and differentiate between the two in this, in these, in this short passage. And the first is the wrong fear. And this is the fear of circumstances or situations beyond our control. This is the first type of fear that's mentioned in this passage. And the disciples discover the, the, their own limits. It's beyond their abilities. And they couldn't handle this storm. And, and isn't that true for us? I mean, we, we actually go to God after the fact that we've tried all of our, our own way. And we've, we've done all that we know to do in, in our own thinking or in our own abilities. And then they go to Jesus. And so in their, in their fear, they, they actually lash out at him and accuse him of, of failing to care for them. And this fear is always wrong. The circumstances that lead to fear serve the purpose of, of breaking the, the picture in our minds that we are in control. This fear is wrong. It ignores the truth about God and his sovereignty that he is controlling. If you notice this, Jesus speaks to his disciples after calming the storm. He says it, he says it right here. Uh, actually, I want to take, if you can go to Matthew. Let's just thumb through because this is interesting to me. The same story is told in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. In a shorter, condensed passage. And it says in verse 26, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? And that fear... And, and that word afraid and the, and the word fear in this passage is the exact same word. And we're going to talk about that. But then turn over to Matthew 14 and 31 because this is not just a one-time situation that he's actually uh, rebuking his disciples. Chapter 14 in verse 31, he, Jesus immediately reached out his hand. This is Peter and took hold of him saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt Then chapter 16 and verse 8, he says this, But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? It's like, don't you remember what I just did? And here you are discussing how you're going to do it, and you're back into control again. And then look at chapter 17 and verse 20. And he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I think it's interesting that over and over and over again, Jesus is actually going back to his disciples and saying, why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so timid? Why don't you believe? I mean, who were the ones that had the front row seat to all of his miracles? I mean, it was the disciples, and they saw it, and he makes reference to even the feeding of the 5,000, that they saw what he did. 
It's interesting that the Greek word translated in this text of, of fear, or, or uh, it's actually in the NAS, the word timid. Why are you so afraid in verse number 40? It's just different than the normal word fear that we would use. It's actually, it's actually in, used in a negative sense. I know I'm asking you to turn in your Bibles all over the place, but this will be the last one, I promise. Revelation chapter 21. Because this is the same word where Jesus is speaking in verse number six. Let's actually start with verse five. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly or the faithless, that's the word, that's the same word that's used in Mark chapter 4. As for the timid, as for those that are cowardly or without any faith that do not believe, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so he actually uses this same word in a list of people that have just rejected God and are going after their own way in sin. but for the cowardly. So he's basically saying to his disciples, you cowards, have you still no faith? Have you ever considered that cowardice is a sin that's on the same level as murder and idolatry and sexual immorality? And this is a convicting point, I think, even to me, but maybe for all of us where there's this fear, and it's not just the fear of the circumstances, but it's the fear to actually to step up and say what you know to be true. He says in Revelation, anyone who thirsts may come to drink, but it is he who overcomes, he who faces the danger and persecution and temptations and depends on God to defeat them. He is the one who will be God's son. It's not the one who shrinks back in fear. It's not the one who steps away as a coward, but it's the one who faces it head on and depends on God to defeat them. So in Mark 4, Jesus is saying to his disciples, take care. I mean, just look back here, Mark 4, verse 13. He said unto them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And he, he goes and he talks now about the sower sowing the word. And I want to read this passage because I think it's important. He says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure 
for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, listen, immediately they what? They fall away. With an exclamation point. Verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and it chokes the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is what Mark, this is what, what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's, he's saying this parable to all the people, but they're standing right there. Take care. Listen. Are you really listening? I mean, is your heart a heart of good soil where when God's word is preached, it, it comes in, it enters into your heart, and you don't just listen, but you, you obey it, and then you live it, and then there's multiplication of blessings that happen. Or are you the one that it's, it's on, it's on a, a rocky ground and the word is sown, Satan comes right away because he knows that you actually don't really believe. I mean, you, you can sit in a, in a service and you can listen to the word, but he knows that right when you, right when you exit this door on Sunday and Monday morning comes, that he can come right in and steal it away. And it's really actually revealing a heart that truly believes or doesn't believe. A heart that has faith to believe in who God is and what he has said to be true. And so why was it a sin for the disciples to react to the storm this way? I mean, any normal person would say, come on, Kevin, this is a storm. I mean, have you ever been in a storm? Do you know how dangerous it is? I mean, anybody would be fearful. We would all be scared. We would all be running to the high ground. We would all uh, uh, just admit that. But this is the point that Jesus himself was with them. And so why was it a sin? Why is it a sin for disciples to react to the storm this way? Why is it sinful for us to worry, to feel sorry for ourselves, to feel like we are at the mercy of just chance. Because this is the truth, that God does care. And he is all-powerful. This is the nature and character of our God. And this is the disciples. This is why they asked Jesus, don't you care? He, that's his character. And they're asking him, do you not care? And we read in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, that he says, cast all your cares and anxiety and worries upon him because he cares for you. So the disciples actually are asking the very question that goes against the character of who God is. Don't you care? Well, yeah, I do care. It's the same word that's used in 1 Peter. I do care. Of course he cares. 
There's a song that we used to sing, right? I know he cares. Does Jesus care? I know he cares. He does. But he's been teaching these disciples this, that they can understand that if you do the will of God that I just read in Mark 3.35, you will be part of his family. And so why would he even say that if he didn't care? He cares. So when we let fear dwell in us or when we, when we actually uh, back away in, 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 in a coward manner, we are actually calling God a liar and we're saying that he doesn't care and that he's not in control. And it really implies a lack of faith. I mean, the reality is when circumstances are, are, are all sovereign God who allows these circumstances to happen in our lives, and he actually knows which one of his children are going to trust him. And can I just say this? This is actually one of the reasons why we're here as Gospel Hope Church. And we have come that we might, we might point you to the living hope that we just sang about, that we might point you to Jesus, that he cares for you and he loves you and he gave his life for you. He died on the cross so that all of our sins could be forgiven and that we could actually enjoy this love that he's, that he's poured upon us through Christ and, and that we could actually walk in faith and we could look to him, to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And so the hope that we have in this life is not based on the things that we see here and now. It's not based on on the news. Can I just say, I I wrote this down because it's amazing that, um, I thought I wrote it down. I know where it is. It's amazing that just yesterday, right, that it was so nice and all of a sudden it's just so cloudy again or smoky. So I looked it up. I mean, there's, um, I think there's 89 active large fires in the U.S. right now. 89. That is co- that has, it's covering one point, almost 1.3 million acres. And these are the states. I mean, there's 10 in Alaska. There's six in Arizona. There's five in California. There's seven in Colorado. There's 15 in Idaho. There's uh, 15, 15 in Montana, there's two in Nevada, there's one in New Mexico, there's five in Oregon, there's eight in Utah apparently, and there's 13 in Washington and two in Wyoming. I mean, there's 89 fires going on. Let's, now let's talk about the hurricanes. I mean, they're everywhere. And so, and so when, you, when, when you get on these sites or if you're going to watch any news uh, station, you sit there long enough and you, all of a sudden you'll start living in fear. (laughs) I mean, all that's going around us in the world. And so when we focus on the things that that we can see or that we can actually uh, around us, maybe here in this valley even, it's easy to, to, to shrink back and just be like, what is going on? And we focus, we put our attention on the circumstances that are around us. And maybe it's not even just the fires or the hurricanes, but maybe it's actually the hurricane that's going on in your own life. Maybe it's the hurricane that's going on in your family or, 
or your, or your marriage, or maybe it's cancer, or maybe it's, maybe it's somebody, a loved one that has passed away, maybe, maybe it's, it's just a, 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 a loss of a job, or maybe it's your own physical health, or maybe it's your own life that you're just so afraid about what's going to happen next. And all of a sudden, the thoughts that are going around in your mind and heart is like a hurricane that's happening, or a windstorm that's happening on this sea. So cowardice is a sin and because it implies a lack of faith in the true believer, the true believer, when the word sown in his heart will not respond to circumstances in fear. And so that's the wrong fear that's mentioned in this chapter, in this passage. But then there's a right fear. And let's look here at verse 41. Right after the question that he asked, why are you so timid? Why are you being cowardly? Do you still not believe? He says in verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now this is a different type of fear. It's not what what he was referring to in the first type of fear, but this actually in the Greek is even stronger than the English. I mean, it actually reads this. It says, they feared a great fear. I mean, when when Daniel was reading Psalms 46, I mean, you just think about it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And, And you read through that passage and you start to go, he is in control of the waves. He is in control of the sea. And, and this is an, this is almighty God. And so this is what he's saying. They feared a great fear. They have just witnessed another incredible, awesome display of God's power and might. And so this is the the actual right fear. This is the right response of, of being overwhelmed. They feared a great fear. And can I just say this? That's really our it's really our heart's prayer every time we come together as God's people that we don't just come into this place and 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 we put on our nice clothes and we just sit in our in our same seats. And uh but when we sing about the nature and character of God that we are overwhelmed by who he is. So here are the disciples in the boat. They feared a great fear. What was their response? I don't think they just stood there and and went, whoa, that was cool. (laughs) I mean, I, I think the response would have been like Isaiah and Ezekiel. When they received visions of God in all of his glory, they fell on their faces before him. And in Revelation chapter 1, John does the same. He fell down like a dead man when he saw Jesus exalted. And all of these men were overwhelmed, not because they, they had any fear that God would just use his power against them, but, but because of his power, because of his majestic power, there was this automatic response 
to the nature and character of God. I think the natural tendency, we've just talked about the hurricanes and the fires and the disasters and, and even in our own life, the hurricanes and the disasters. I mean, the natural response is to, is to sit there and go, oh well, why would God do that? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, God loves us, right? Same thing the disciples asked. But I'm sitting there watching the news and I'm watching these hurricanes and I'm just amazed. I mean, this is not my first response. I mean, this is after you flush out the fact that the people are getting flooded. But the fact is that God, we read that in Psalms 46. I mean, he is controlling the winds and the waves. And he does know what he's doing. And this speaks back to what, what Danny spoke on a few weeks ago. And referring to what happened in Genesis when Satan actually went to Eve and and told her a lie about God, that who God was is not true and that what he says is not true. And can I just tell you, all of us do the same thing. Because of sin in our hearts, we, we actually really don't believe. But instead, when you see God demonstrate his power and his majesty, the response is, how great is our God? And you would fall down on your face and, 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 you, and you would see, God, woe is me, for I'm a man undone. I mean, that really was Isaiah's response to seeing God in all of his glory. It wasn't, God, what can I do for you? That came later. It was actually an upward gaze at who God was that, that produced an inward reality. I'm a man undone. I have no clue what I'm doing. And then there was this outward focus. Okay, Lord, here am I, send me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. So in these verses, we see the disciples display two types of fear. Fear of circumstances, uh, of, of stepping back away and, and, and being a coward and not enduring and, and stepping in because of the, the nature of God and and then the second is a fear, a, a, a reverence of who God is and his majesty and being overwhelmed by it. You might say, well, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that just likes to show my, my emotions. Can I just say, when we see God in all of his majesty and glory, we don't get to control that. It just overflows out of us. It's the right response to who God is. God works all things together for good, for the good of those who love him. He uses our external circumstances and problems and our inner trials and difficulties, difficulties and he uses our failures and he uses our successes and he uses our trials and he uses our temptations to achieve his ultimate purpose for our lives. So if we are his children and anyone here can become his child, even this morning, by accepting his offer that he said to drink freely 
If anyone thirsts, you can come and you can drink freely of the water of life that that all can come and experience this love and forgiveness. You come broken, be mended. You come desperate, he'll help you. And so he offers that and avails that. And, And then if we are his children, we are held by him in a love that will never let us go that will secure our our entrance into heaven, do you know that there's no other security to get to heaven? You can't work your way there. There's nothing you can do to be accepted by other people. It's because of Jesus. And we we will securely enter his kingdom with great joy, not guilt, not fear that we didn't measure up, that we didn't really work hard enough to get there, but because of Jesus and his love that he promises will never let us go, not because of our past and our failures, but because of Jesus, we never need to fear his judgment. It was 75 years ago on January 6, 1941, that President Franklin Roosevelt stood to deliver the State of the Union Address that would become one of his most famous. Do you remember this? At no previous time has American security been as seriously threatened from without as it is today. And Roosevelt admitted, but he still had a hope for a future that would encompass the four essential human freedoms, including freedom from fear. When Pearl Harbor was attacked at the end of that year, news reports from the time showed that Americans indeed responded with determination more than fear. Nearly three quarters of a century later, a poll was released in December of 2016 found that Americans are more fearful of terrorism than at any point since 9-11. And while recent events like the attacks in ISIS inspired attacks in Paris and the fatal shootings in San Bernardino, California may have Americans particularly on edge, experts say that Roosevelt's advice has gone unheeded for some time. In the 1980s, and goes more or less till now, there have been very high fear levels in the U.S. continuously. And that's from an article that says, Why Americans are more afraid than they used to be. Granted, the events contributed to that, but... Could it be that maybe more Americans were strongly rooted in the truth of who God is? So when the hot winds blow, and when the desert comes, that you're not going to wither, your leaf is not going to wither, like it says in Psalms 1. So consider God's faithfulness. What has he done for you? What evidence do you have of God working together things for good from the mess that you've made with your life? Who have you shared those thoughts with lately? Do you know that even in our messed up life and when God shows himself to us and we see that and we experience that that we tell other people it gives them hope to keep their eyes on Jesus share them with others 
for their encouragement and, and, and share them with those who may not even know who Jesus is, that they would know the works of the Lord. They would know his power and they would know his might and they too might come to know this God who cares for us and who loves us, who knows us, and he's watching over us. I read a little uh, excerpt about the, the Twin Towers, and I guess it's just because it, it was the anniversary this week that it just sticks in my, my head a little bit more. But I just want to read a little bit in closing this vulnerability, and I think this author makes a really clear um, parallel to understanding the fear of God. He says, think with me about the people trapped in the buildings in those final moments of horror as they realize the inevitability of their destruction. They experience intense vulnerability in the face of overwhelming destructive powers, the consuming power of flames and the crushing power of tons of crumbling concrete and steel. Some in those final moments of terror decided to jump rather than face the encroaching flames, and others called or emailed loved ones to say their final goodbyes as they waited for the inevitable. All hope of escape had vanished. All that was left for them in the final moments was terror. We were spared the final screams of engulfed, those engulfed in the inferno. We can't begin to imagine the terror in their souls nor the pain in their bodies. Their experiences are in many ways parallel to what it means to experience the fear of God. In the Tower tragedy and in what it means to fear the Lord, there is a sense that you are facing a power far greater than you and that you are very much at risk in your present situation. Anyone who has seen the funnel cloud and hear the roar of an approaching tornado or felt the severe lashings of hurricane winds understands the frightening vulnerability that this is part of the fear of the Lord when a man is brought face to face with some aspect of God's greatness. He is dwarfed by the immensity of a being which far, with far greater powers than his own. A sinner who has just become aware of his sin and his judgment by God if he has no atonement, or a believer like King David, who his sin has just been exposed, is also experiencing the frightening vulnerability that, that is a part of the fear of the Lord. Whether you see God's greatness in, a powerful, in powerful nature displays or experience his greatness when considering his powerful judgments on sin, the effect is the same. And Jeremiah testifies, for as much as there is none like thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O King of the nations? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we admit to you that we are not any greater than the disciples. be easy to read these stories in the gospel accounts and, and actually look down on the disciples for the fact that they should know better and they should actually respond right there should be no fear and yet we have the whole revealed word of God and we do the same this morning we admit I admit the wrong fear that maybe may have crept into my own heart or our hearts this morning about the circumstances that are beyond our control. And we've chosen to actually believe the lie of Satan that 
you are not all-powerful and that you do not care. I pray that this morning that your word would, would fall on hearts that, that are like the good ground, that we would, we would listen and then we would, we would trust and then we would obey, that then when the storms do come, we will not fear. We will not even fear what others will do to us. We will trust in the name of the living, powerful God. I pray this morning, maybe there's someone here who has never trusted. They don't know the security of the love of God for them. Maybe they don't even understand what it means to, to, to actually run to Jesus who cares for them. And, and maybe they've been trying their whole life to, to actually measure up to something. But today, this morning, you are calling them to come and drink of the water of life. I pray that this morning you would work in all of our hearts that we would respond to your word with an overwhelming reverence and awe of who you are. You stood up and said, peace, be still. And it was done. And so as you speak to us, we know that your word can do the same thing in our hearts. You can calm the storm that's in our hearts. You can calm the fears that are in our hearts as we look to you and as we trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen.